You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ogi Ogui, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. All right. Stand up. Let's read the word of God. Matthew chapter 28 from verse 18 to 20. Are you there? I believe you are not. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Matthew chapter 28, from verse 18 to 20. It says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven. And where? If you're you're not there, just look at the screen. All power is given unto me in heaven. And where? Verse 19. says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Verse 20 teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you because the entrance of your word gives light and it gives understanding unto the simple. We thank you because in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And the same was with God in the beginning. And all things were made through him, and without him was Nothing made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And that light shined in darkness, and darkness cannot comprehend it. We pray that the light of your word will shine in the dark corners of our hearts and bring illumination and revelation in the name of Jesus. We thank you because that word dwelt amongst men, and we beheld his glory as of, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace. We pray that today, once more, just like the disciples, we will behold the glory of your Son in the name of Jesus. We pray that as your word is taught today, that Jesus is glorified and we are edified. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Please sit down. The scripture we just read, Matthew chapter 28 from verse 19 to 20, contains two important things that I want to point out. As we bring our teaching series on the march to to a close. All right, and this month we've been talking about the forceful advancement of God's kingdom. The forceful advancement of God's kingdom. If if you were to summarize every teaching that we've had in the month of March, both the Sunday teachings and the Wednesday teachings, it, it will be summarized in one statement. The forceful advancement of God's kingdom. You see, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. Let me see Matthew 11, 12. The scripture all of us are all too familiar with. Matthew eleven twelve. It says, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, it says, the kingdom of heaven has suffered what? And the what? Take it by, I don't know if you have the Good News Bible or the TLB, HCSB or NLT. Do you have any of those? It says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been suffering violence and the violence have, have been seizing it by force. Ugh, this doesn't quite explain it. NLT says, and from time John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully what? And violent people are attacking it. So there is, you need to understand that there are two things. There is a forceful advancement of the kingdom. And not only is there a forceful advancement of the kingdom, there is a forceful opposition to that advancement. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is a forceful, it says, it has been forcefully advancing and violent people have been attacking it. So, not only will it forcefully advance, people will attack it. This 
is the beautiful thing. God takes all those attacks and turns them into tools for advancement. You see, historically, it has been proven, even from scripture, that every single point of persecution in the Christian church was a point of growth. (laughs) Do you understand? Every time the church was persecuted, it grew. So, the kingdom of heaven was designed to forcefully advance. Are you getting what I'm saying? Now, in Matthew 28, Jesus says, Go ye therefore into all the world. There are two things I want to point out from that statement. Number one is that our master Jesus said we should go. If Jesus said we should go, it should be enough for you to go. Do you understand this? If Jesus said go, it must be enough for you and I to go. It's not just, it's not just okay to just sit down. You know, a lot of us think that our Christianity is about us. It's not. If God intended for your Christianity to be about you alone, you would have died the moment you gave your life to Christ. So as you just receive the life of Christ, you say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. I accept you into my heart. Forgive me and all of that. The moment you've got now, like now that you are clean, before you stay, you're white. Just come home. But it's not that way because... He gave gifts to men, to some he gave apostles, to some prophets, to some evangelists, to some pastors, to some teachers. He says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of what? The ministry. So every saint has a work of the ministry to do. What is ministry? Ministry is not opening church. Ministry is not climbing a pulpit to preach. Ministry is any work done to fulfill the will of God. And what is this will of God? God wills that all men be saved and none should perish so ministry is anything any participation in the fulfillment of that will so how are you participating in the fulfillment of that will you see our master said we should go number two he said we should go into all the world you know that's not an exaggeration I hope you know Jesus was not exaggerating. You know, we exaggerate a lot, especially Nigerians. Oh, we exaggerate a lot. To the entire universe. (laughs) We exaggerate a lot. But Jesus was not exaggerating. When he said, go into all the world, the man was serious. He meant it. Put up Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says, and you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, he says, telling people, give me the KJV. He says, you will be my witnesses in Judea, um, in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria. And where? He says, and to the uttermost. Do you know the meaning of the word uttermost? When he says to the uttermost parts of the world or the earth, he's saying to the extreme hidden corners of this earth. He says, you will be my witnesses. You know, somebody will ask an intelligent question. Jesus was speaking to the disciples here, right? And in Matthew 28, he was also speaking to the disciples. Is that true? So how do I, how does that apply to me? I'm not one of them. But when you see how other believers who came on the scene much later took these words, you would realize that you ought to take it seriously also. When you see that Paul, who was not one of the twelve, 
took these words seriously. And you see, the 12 disciples in this Acts 1.8 were only responsible for fulfilling the first part of it. Jerusalem and Judea and maybe Samaria. But you say that uttermost parts of the earth, do you know who fulfilled that part? Paul the Apostle. That's why you have his letters to Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and all the other ants. You see, those were the uttermost parts of the earth. The places that the Jews felt were not holy enough to receive the gospel. It was Paul that took it there. Are you seeing this? He took it seriously. You read Acts chapter 8 and you see the story of Philip taking the gospel to Samaria. And he took it seriously. Their attitude to the gospel should inform your own attitude to the gospel. Listen, Christianity is not a new religion. Do you understand? It has cultural roots, ancient cultural roots. It did not start with you and you will not reinvent it. So if the people who first received the life of God, who first received this thing that you have now, Handled it in a particular way. You ought to also. They know better because they were closer to the source. Do you get what I'm saying? So, Jesus said we should go and he said we should go into all the world. Some pastors will say, you know, I I think it's interesting. You hear pastors say something like numbers don't matter. And in some context, that's correct. I mean, for example, if you get, if you don't have the right message, your, your numbers are a curse to you. Is that true? Your numbers are a curse to you. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been asked to carry out a task that had to do with numbers? Maybe you had to do one thing repeatedly over a, a, a large number of time. Then maybe you were supposed to do 1,000 pieces and you've done 700 pieces. Then the person who asked you to do it now came in and said, ah, this is not how I say you should do it. Your numbers become a what? A curse. <laughs> curse. K-E-S-S. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, numbers never verify or validate the veracity or the truthfulness of a message. Do you understand? That somebody has crowd does not mean that what you're saying is correct. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, a lot of, this, a lot of celebrities have followers, plenty, but many of them don't have sense. There's nothing about fame that imparts wisdom. It's the truth. When you read, have you ever, do you see some tweets from some celebrities and you're like, I apologize for assuming that you had sense. I thought too highly of you. (laughs) So there's nothing about numbers that says, ah, he must know what he's talking about. You know? I'm saying that because a lot of people, when you argue with them on doctrine, you say, oh, this is what you heard. But this is actually what the Bible is saying. They will say, do you know more than this man? See his church, see your own. How does that... (laughs) But! Once the message is correct, if you don't go for the numbers, your motive is wrong. Do you understand? I mean, you cannot truly really claim, you cannot truly really claim to have the cure to the problems of this world. Because let me tell you, COVID-19 vaccine cannot give you eternal life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh-huh. 
The major problem of this world is not COVID-19. At the moment, it's the most prominent one, but it's not the major problem. Underline, do you ever read some stories and you realize the need for Jesus? When you just hear so, so, so person did so and so. I was watching a video during the week. It was, it was sort of, I don't know if it's a meme, but it was this video where Daddy Gio was saying, marry right. I don't know if you guys saw it. And then there was one man who picked his wife up. You know that thing they do in wrestling? Ba- um, Baptista Bomb. How many of you watch wrestling? You know what Baptista Bomb is? I think he will put you on your neck and slam you on the floor. He picked his wife up and slammed her on the floor. I, You need Jesus, guy. <laughs> because beyond that, beyond the fact that he's a wife bitter, there's something wrong with his heart. You, you need to understand, there's something wrong with your heart if you can think of that level of violence yes, and execute it. Something's wrong with It's not just, something's fundamentally wrong with you. And only Jesus can fix it. <laughs> only him can fix it. Honestly, when you hear, with all due respect, how wicked some politicians are. You just know that only Jesus can fix this. Rehabilitation cannot fix it. Do you understand what I'm saying? The, the true problem of this world is that man is wicked. Inherently so. I hope you get what I'm saying. And it's only Jesus that has the cure for that wickedness. So you can't truly claim that you have the solution to this world's real problem and you do nothing. You don't tell people about it. Just imagine if someday you you stumbled on the cure for COVID-19. You know, some of you eat very weird things. Some people eat bread and yam. Raise your hand if you eat bread and yam. Let's pray for you. So Some people eat bread and yam. Just imagine if one day as you are eating that, that maybe you had COVID 19, then you now ate one weird combination like that, you are just cured immediately. Would you keep it to yourself? Would you say, oh, I'm shy? I'm shy. I don't really like to shout like that. My personality type we usually do things inside, we are introverts. But this is what we say where the gospel is concerned. You have the most potent message in the world and you keep it to yourself. Listen, nobody, no people group should be more ambitious than the Christians. No people group. On the contrary, you know what people think is that Christians should just be reserved, quiet, make no noise, don't be, re- don't be noticed when you enter into a place. On the contrary, you should be the loudest person in the room. Do you understand? You are a Christian, don't get used to silence. It should be in your nature to shout. Yeah. You can't really have the cure to the world's problem. I mean, some of you, you are just in a, a scenario where a, a particular amount of money is needed. Let's say you are in, you're with your guys and you guys want to buy gala or something. You want to buy drinks. And everybody is hustling and there's no money. You just don't worry, I got this. Because you want to help. Yet, you have the most potent message in the world and you keep it to yourself? Listen, you must be particular about the numbers. Are you getting what I'm saying? 
Yes. And you must, you must be particular about whether your strategies are working. Because you have to have strategies for how to reach people. When Jesus met the woman at the well, he didn't just meet her and say, hmm, five husbands. The one you are with now is not your husband. Celebrate grace. <laughs> he didn't just do that. He didn't just say, um, I have good news for you. You know, that's how a lot of us start evangelism. Brother, I have good news for you. Jesus loves you. So, <laughs> you can be creative. He looked at that and said, give me water to drink. He knew where he was going to with that, that request. I hope you know. The conversation did not just unfold. Uh, he said, give me water. She said, uh-uh, you are a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why are you asking me, Samaritan woman, for water to drink? And Jesus now looked at her. He said, see this insult. If you know who was talking to you, you will ask me for water. You know that's how many people think that the, the conversation just unfolded. No. When he went there, he started the conversation with that end in mind. Do you understand? Uh, you must be strategic about how you reach out to people. Though. You must be. There was a time when there was a 10-year challenge going on. I did not, I did not do. So you say, ah, this is how you will look in 10 years. But where do you see yourself in 10 years? You say, I'll be dead. Out of 100 years, say, I'll be dead. And when you're dead, where do you see yourself? I've entered the conversation from there. Listen, you must be strategic. When we were in secondary school, for those of us that went to some secondary schools where they thought it was necessary to do motivational speaking, they taught you about goal setting. How many of you were taught about goal setting? They told you that your goals must be smart. How many of you remember smart? What is S? What does S stand for? Specific, M, measurable, A, attainable, R, realistic, and T is time-bound. So now you have a goal to reach all the world. It is a specific goal. It's measurable. It's attainable. It is realistic, and it is time-bound. It is time-bound because Jesus is coming soon. Do you understand? But even... That's on a grand scale. For instance, you're a member of this church. And we said, oh, the Lord has asked us to do 300 people in the next nine months. What's your strategy to make that happen as a member of this church? What's your strategy to make that happen? For instance, can you decide, oh, if I bring two people to church, if I make sure two people are committed members of this church, I've done my part. Do you know that's very, it's very workable. Very realistic too. I know some people who we bring more than two. There are people in this church that are responsible for families being here. Let that be your story. Let that be who you are. Say this after me. God will make a name for himself, for himself. Through my life. Say, God will make a name for himself through my life. Praise the Lord. Okay. So, Paul, in Acts chapter 17, went to Athens. And he saw people worshipping these idols, these statues that they had placed. And then there was one statue that said to the unknown God. How many of you know that story? It's in Acts chapter 17. And notice 
that Paul, do you know Paul did not quote a single Bible verse? Paul the Apostle, the writer of two-thirds of the New Testament, did not quote a Bible verse to convert those people. Listen, let me tell you something. It takes a lot of faith to believe that there is no God. It takes too much faith. It takes more faith to believe that there is no God than it takes to believe that there is a God. Think about it. Would you see um, a dictionary, for instance? You just see a dictionary. If, if you held a dictionary, or you held this iPad now, I handed you this iPad, and then you were like, wow, you didn't know what it was. So you were like, wow, this is beautiful. You pressed the power button, it came on. You touched the screen, things are moving. And I'm not like, hmm, amazing. No. That, that, this thing you are holding now, let me tell you how it happened. I was passing by one scrapyard like that. Then one explosion just happened. And in the middle of the explosion was the iPad. Would you believe me? Do you know why? Because we believe, every human believes, that behind every intelligent design, there is an intelligent designer. That makes sense, Abby. That, oh, this dictionary or this textbook in your hand now. Now, what actually happened was that one day Nepal took light in the printing press. And there's a way the printer just jammed. The textbook was formed. You'd be like, ah. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Somebody will come and tell you that the cosmos, there were gases floating. It exploded. And boom. You and I existed. Even if the world was created by a big bang, who banged it? Where did the bank occur? The gases that exploded, where did they come from? It takes a lot of faith to believe it, that there is no God. I would rather believe that there is a being somewhere that made all of this happen. We don't know where he's from. We don't know much about him. I'd rather believe that than to just believe that it just happened. <laughs> Do you understand? Good. So, let me tell you something. Many of you don't realize it. But Christianity is more logical than many other options that there are. So not only do you have the gospel on your side, the gospel of eternal life, you have logic on your side. Omar, you must be strategic about how you preach this gospel. What will you do with this thing that you have received? What will you do? What? And this is the thing. When, when, when you understand that Jesus sent us to go into all the world, it creates two consciousnesses or two forms of consciousness in you. The first one is that you will be conscious that someone gave his life for you. Do you understand? This is important. See, Jesus died 2,000 and something years ago. It is not science fiction. It happened. You know, that's why we started this teaching series with that movie, The Case for Christ. It happened. There was a man, 2000 and God knows how many years ago, and he died. And after he died, a couple of days later, he was raised from the dead. People who saw him die, saw him live. Do you understand? It's not fiction. It's not tales by moonlight. It is not a... It's not just stories. It happened. 
It's as real as a couple of years ago, Obasanjo was your president. Imagine if somebody came to say to you that a couple of years ago, you tell someone Obasanjo was once president of this country, uh uh, there was nobody like Obasanjo ever in Nigeria. Why do you look at the person like you're crazy? You're very crazy. History proves it. So, not only does the Bible say that Jesus died, history proves it. Do you understand this? Listen, you can prove the death of Jesus without opening your Bible. I mean, if you just go through historical archives, there was a criminal in Jerusalem around 830 who was named Jesus. He was the son of one Joseph. He was crucified and he died. And after three days, they didn't find his body. He was alive. People saw him walking the streets. Listen, history. People that, would, that don't want to admit. Prove it. There was a first century historian. I think his name was Josephus. He was not a Christian. He proved it. He said it's true. The disciples saw him. Many people saw him walking the streets. Somebody that was... I mean, think about it. What does that mean for you? It must then inform the way you live your life. Because if he died for you, and there's proof of it, ooh, how does that, how does that influence? I mean, I mean, people have done less, and you live your life in, in gratitude to them. Am I saying the truth? People have done less for you. Some of you, you were in school. Some of you went to expensive schools, universities. Some of you went to expensive universities. And it's the night before exam. I remember my 200 level. 200 level was a very terrible period. Because the school decided that they wanted to give us, and I think that's what they're doing to Unilag people now. They wanted to give us like 10 papers back to back. So we wrote two papers every day for one week. Boy, that's, and some of them three unit courses. So we had to start doing scale of preference. Okay, this one is more important than this one. This one is, so I will get C in this one. I'll try and get A in this one. But sometimes like this, you know, you are preparing, there are sometimes you're preparing for an exam. And at some point, you just feel like, see, what's the point of all of this? And you just want to raise your hand if that's ever happened to you before. And like, let me just close this book. Let me close it and just stop. You remember that my parents pay school fees for me. Am I saying the truth? You remember how much they pay? And I, ah. Just, let me just continue, because how do I go back and tell this man that the 500000 that he paid for my school fees, that I was too tired to read. That's why I know really read like that. <laughs> but somebody died for you. How would you live if somebody, let's say you lost an eye, and somebody gave you his own eye? You know those Indian, Nigerian, Nollywood movies? The girl was blind, and the guy now gave her his own eyes. Then she now started seeing, but he too was now blind. <laughs> How would you live your life if you knew that you are alive because of somebody else? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. He says, and that he died. You know what? Everybody read 2 Corinthians 5, 15 together. One, two, go. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them 
and rose again. Listen, there must be that henceforth moment. He said that he died for all, that they which live should henceforth. Listen, that is, that moment where you realize that somebody gave his life for me, you decide my life is no longer my own. Do you understand? My life is no longer my own. What kind of a person would you be if you lived in abject penury? You were poor. You know when you see someone is poor? You were very poor. And on the dying bed of this rich man, he willed you all his money and said, this is what I want you to do with this money. You can flex, you can enjoy, but make sure that every year you give this amount of money to these particular people and take care of my family. What kind of a person would you be if you don't do those things? And he died. That they which live should henceforth no longer live for themselves. But for him who died for them, he rose again. Your life is not your own, oh, it's not. There is an idea. Oh. Oh. Some of you don't even understand it. Some of us, in the arrogance, we we realize that some of the objections we have to God, we have because of God. (laughs) That is, within the provisions he has made for your living and your sack and your salvation, you begin to ask him questions. It's like a child. You know that thing we all did when we were young? We begin to hate on our parents. We are living under their roof. Eating their food. Using their nepa bill. But then you ask them for one kid, they're like, no, I'm not giving you. They're like, what kind of father? Why, why would he not give me one? I'm running away from this house. How many of you ever plan to run away from your house? I'm running away from this house. Why would they not give me what I'm asking for? I'm leaving this house. You're under their roof. The thing is, we think we have options outside Christ. Let me just tell you, you don't have any. Do you understand? Uh-huh. When it comes to the human race, you are the ones that have won. You are the privileged ones. Let me tell you now. Yes. You are the privileged ones. Because let me tell you, food for the belly, belly for food, both of them will be destroyed. It's the truth. Make all the money you want to make, you will die. Do you get it? You will die. And when you die, you can't spend money. Cannot. The only thing that would therefore count when you die is that you have Christ. I taught you last week about the Holy Spirit in you and how He's the mechanism of your resurrection. That because you have the Holy Ghost, you are sure that when you die, you will be raised again. You have eternal life. That's the only thing that counts. That's the only thing that counts. Because there are two kinds of people in this world. Not fat or slim. Not rich or poor. Dark or fair. Nigerian or abroad people. Not, there are two kinds of people. Dead and alive. Those who are alive in Christ or dead to sin. And those who are dead in sin are dead in Christ. Do you get what I'm saying? Those are the only two kinds of people that exist. Those are the only two kinds of people that God sees. God does not see your complexion, your race, your age, your, your gender. He doesn't see any of those. Male or female is not, Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female, no, we are all one in Christ. Do you understand this? 
God doesn't see your, your gender. He doesn't. Only two kinds of people in God's eyes. Those who are dead in sin and those who are alive in Christ. So when it comes to the human race, you are the winner because you are alive in Christ. What do you do? So we say, come to church, join the workforce. You're like, no, I don't really want to join the workforce. I just want to, I just want to love the Lord. You don't get it. Your life is not your own. <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? Your life is not your own. Your life is not yours. Some, some people will even tell you, some people will say, ha, that God has been calling me to do this thing for like two years now. But, ha, that don't worry. Some people share it as a, they think it's a thing to be proud of. That God was calling me. He called me so day I was walking on the street and one madman said to me, you, you will not answer God's call over your life. And they're like, God really called Are you okay? <laughs> you had to wait. Do you understand how disrespectful that is? You had to wait till God now sent a donkey to talk to you. Ha! What's the difference between you and Balaam? <laughs> What's the difference? Say, my life is not my own. So I will live it for Christ. There is a way you live your life that lets me know. See it. It's sad to say, but those who come from privileged homes don't usually understand privilege. Am I saying the truth? Those who don't come from privileged homes use the privilege that they are given. So for instance, some of you go to the same school. It's an expensive school. One person, his dad just out the money. You had people like that in your school. Their pocket money every month was like 100k. You had people like that in your school. The father just coughed out the money. Most times, not all the time, but most times, watch the way they behave. They don't understand what. There was one that kept saying, I don't know. You know, I went to Covenant University, which is the best school in Nigeria. Do, do I have any arguments? Please. <laughs> I went to Covenant University. And there was this young man who was in my department. Every time. I don't know why my father sent me to this useless school. What kind of school is that? I'm supposed to be in London. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, chief, you do know that there are many people who want to be where you are right now. Don't be like those spoiled children who don't understand privilege. Because it's a privilege to go to that kind of a school. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a privilege that you are saved. Don't, don't misuse it. Do you understand what I'm saying? The second consciousness that you will have is the consciousness of hope. The consciousness of hope. You will live your life with a sense of hope. And I'm not talking about aspire to Maguire. Just be hopeful. There's light at the end of the tunnel. That's not what I'm talking about. In the Bible, the context of hope is salvation. In the Bible, 
the context of hope is what? I showed you this last week, right? For those of you that were in church, I showed you this last week. Open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. Yeah, 1 John chapter 3 verse 1. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father had bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Next verse. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what, what we shall be. For those of you that were in church last week, do you know what he's talking about? What's he talking about? Your glorified body. He says, It does not appear yet what we shall be. He says, But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like. So, this is the hope of the Christian. This body is sold under sin. It's sold under the slavery of sin. Do you understand? I taught you last week, a very good way to know is how that normally you can wake up in the morning and get so engrossed with activities that you don't eat till like 2 p.m. Am I saying the truth? But the moment we say, let us fast, that's 10 o'clock. Your body will start giving you signals, warning, warning. If you don't eat now, you will die. We'll shut down. Warning, eat now. Eat now or die. <laughs> right? Your body is sold under the slavery of sin. Paul puts it this way. He says the spirit is in enmity, is at war against the flesh, and the flesh warreth against the spirit, each one trying to gain mastery over the other. So, your final, the consummation or the completion, the completion of your faith is that when Christ comes, you will do away with this flesh. You will put on a glorified body. One, that is not under that one that does not fall sick anymore. Do you understand? That's what the Bible teaches us. So that's why he says that we don't know what we will look like, but we know one thing: when he appears, we'll be like him. Do you see that? He says, When we appears, we'll be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Next verse. He says, And every man that hath this hope, what is this hope that he's talking about? When he appears, do you see? The finality of salvation. That is the consummation of your salvation. I'm trying as much as possible to um, say it in simple ways. The completion of your salvation happens when Jesus appears. It says everyone that has this hope in him. So the context of hope here is what? All right. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Everybody read Hebrews 11, 1, 1, 2, go. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things. He says substance of things hoped for. Is it everything that you hope for, faith substantiates? No. There's a context for this hope. Go back to um, chapter 10, verse 35. It says, cast not away the recompense, cast not away... Um, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Verse 36. It says, For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Which is, what is this promise? A car? A house? What's this promise? Your salvation. Do you see that? Next verse. It says, For yet a little while, and he that shall come will, and will not. That means he's coming soon. Next verse. 
He says, now the just shall live by what? He says, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Verse 39, but we are not like they which, we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the what? Then verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1, which is the next verse. Now, faith is a substance of things. What's this hope? The saving of your soul. Do you see that? So what is it that faith substantiates? The hope of salvation. This is why he says, the just shall live by faith. My life here will be lived in view of that hope that I have. Are you getting it? My life here will be lived, my every day will be lived in view of the hope that I have. Listen, there is a way you live that lets us know that you expect something after. Do you get what I'm saying? Good. There's a way somebody will come to your house and sit down that you know this person has come to stay. (laughs) Is it true? And there's a way they will come and stay and then you'll be like, this person wants to go very soon. So the person comes like at the door. Maybe you're in a hostel and the person just just stands at the door. How far? How are you? Are you okay? And then one leg is inside, one leg is outside. You know he's not planning to stay. But some people will just enter, close the door, off shirt. (laughs) They're like, ah! On the day you have come. Praise the Lord. There's a way you live your life that lets us know. That lets us know that you know that there's another. Listen, there's a way you live. There's a way you treat things. That lets us know that you know that there's another life. Are you getting this? Some of you, you hoard money. A little too much. Keeping money upon. They're just keeping it, like you said, stashing it somewhere. Just any small money that went, I just stash it. For who? There's a parable that Jesus told that if that reflects this. The parable of the rich fool. He said there was a man. He made a lot of money. He had harvest. So what did he do? He said to himself, I will tear down my barn and build a bigger barn. And then the Bible says God was upset. This is in Luke 12. God was upset and God said to him, you fool. You know, if God calls you a fool, you must be really foolish. God said to him, you fool. Your soul will be required of you tonight. He says, because you have not been rich unto God. If you die, this is what God said. If you die, who will spend the money? Whose money will it be? There's a way you ought to live your life in... Do you get what I am saying? In anticipation of the life that is coming. No, See, I'm not saying don't have savings. You ought to. Have investments. Have savings. Try to multiply your money. But listen, the moment you lose sight of the fact that that money was given to you for a reason, you've lost sight of your hope. You have. You have. Listen, for those of you that went to boarding school, it doesn't matter how many hangers or mattresses you collected in school. You will go home. And you will carry your mattress and go home. Am I saying the truth? Eh? You might come to school. Those of you that are in universities where you have to do room allocation and you have to pick the best mattress. 
So you go to school and then you, you see the room that was allocated or allotted to you and then you enter the room and then you don't like the mattress. So you start going from door to door looking for a good mattress. Am I saying the truth? Yeah, you start looking for a good mattress. Then you now get, no matter how good the mattress is, at the end of the term or semester, you will go home. Do you understand? You will not stay in the school. You won't sleep there. So let me tell you something now, dear Christian. No matter how much money you have, at the end of the semester, you are going home. Are you getting me? Yeah, you are going home. This world is not your home. Stop living like it is. Flex. Enjoy. Have a good life. If you can afford to do so, but understand that there is something else. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And listen. This is where writing your faith story comes in. Because you see, faith can have many things and can be many things, but faith without corresponding action is dead. The Bible says so. James says so. Faith without works is what? Which means, and he explained himself. He said, you might say that you have faith, but show me your faith by your works. This is why the book of Hebrews um, chapter 11 is actually a chapter of actions. Can you see it? Of actions. It's not just a chapter of words. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Sarah did that. By faith, this person did that. And all of them had this faith in one thing alone. I hope you know that the faith of Abraham was not really receiving Isaac. The faith of Abraham was towards the coming of the Christ. He believed in God's plan, even though he didn't know fully what that plan was. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? So, let me show you something. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13. This is going to change your perspective on faith. Hebrews eleven thirteen. Everybody read Hebrews eleven thirteen. One, two, go. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Wait. Abraham received Isaac, didn't he? So is either the scripture is wrong or we are looking at it differently? He said, these all died in faith. Now, prior to this, he talked about Abraham, talked about Noah. Noah did build an ark. You might think that the act of faith was that he built an ark and he saw that faith play out when the rain finally came. And we're saved. Is that true? Well, he didn't receive the promise. Sarah had faith for his son. She, she conceived and bore a child, Isaac. Same with Abraham. He says they didn't receive the promise. So if they didn't receive the promise, then the promise was not Isaac. The promise was something else. Are you getting this? Are you getting this? He says they didn't receive the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, that's the promise, and embraced the promise, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. So the display of their faith was that this world is not my home. Are you getting this? Many people read Hebrews 11 and think that Hebrews 11 is God's principle for you to get a car when you want a car from him. It's not. 
So some people think that, oh, if I want to buy a car, I act in faith and buy a steering cover. Or I'll buy, I'll buy um, car wash liquid. And God will see my faith and give me a car. But that's not what Hebrews 11 is telling you. It's telling you that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Sarah, Enoch, all those people he mentioned had one thing in common. They looked at the promises from afar off. They might not have seen what the promise really is. You see, because when you see something from afar, what you see is the form of the thing. Do you understand? You might not see it in detail, but you know that there is a form of it. You see it from afar and you say, huh, based on what I can see, this world is not my home. Do you understand? Show me the next verse. He says, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. Next verse. He says, and truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Next verse. He says, but now they desire a what? That is a heavenly country. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. He says, some translations say, a city whose builder and maker is God. That's what Abraham was looking forward to. Salvation. The one that you have also received. The one you look forward to. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, Abraham's faith walk. You know, when we call Abraham the father of faith, we think that Abraham is called the father of faith because he received Isaac. Abraham is called the father of faith because God declared his gospel to Abraham and Abraham believed it. Where did God declare his gospel to Abraham when he said to Abraham, in you? shall the nations of this earth be blessed. Abraham didn't understand what was going on. I'm going to teach this on the first Sunday of April. Um, I'm going to teach more about the blessing of Abraham on the first Sunday of April. Abraham didn't understand what God was saying. When, he, when God told him, you shall the nations of this earth be blessed, Abraham thought, well, okay, that means I'm going to have a good lineage. We'll be rich. We'll have money. But in Galatians, Paul talks about how um, actually, the seed that God was talking about, when God said, in your seed shall the nations of this earth be blessed, was not Isaac, but Christ. Do you understand? Christ is that seed of Abraham. I'm going to express it um, in a couple of weeks. I think it's next week. Next week, I'll express it. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And Abraham believed God. And the Bible says, and it was imputed to him for righteousness. That was how they wrote their faith story. They carried out actions in accordance with God's plan. Many of us, our faith story just looks like, and by faith, he got a house. By faith, he got a job. By faith, he got married. By faith, he died. What a boring life. Nothing accomplished for the gospel. Nothing done to bring the plan of God to pass. Nothing. You have no footprint in the sands of time. None at all. What's your faith story? What are you going to say you did for the gospel? Will they be able to talk about Christianity and you will be an important integral part of it? The world doesn't need to know your name. But Jesus needs to know your impute. He needs to see your work. You see, when you stand before God, it won't matter whether you're a doctor or a lawyer. 
It won't, you know, many of us think, you know, we think that, oh, when we stand before God, the questions will be asked. Are questions like, um, were you a lawyer? Or we've, we've often thought that what's going to happen is that on the judgment day, there's going to be a big screen like this. God is going to be by the side of the screen. When you walk into the room, they will play your entire life. If that was it, then it's not judgment day, it's judgment eternity because you can't do that in one day. They will play your entire life on the screen. God will not say, pause there. What were you doing here? Was that your biro? Is that your biro? <laughs> if you lie. <laughs> you know that's what many people think will happen. First of all, let me tell you. John 3.18 tells us that whoever believes is saved. Who does, whoever does not believe is condemned already. It's an automatic selection process. The people are going to, that are going to hell will go from here. They don't need to get to heaven first. Then God will not send them. No, they are going from here. Let me just tell you now. That's why you have work to do. When we get to heaven, God is not weighing your life. He's going to ask you one question. I gave you my son. What did you do with him? That's what Jesus says. He said, your works will be weighed. They will be tried by fire. What are you going to say to God? Say, um, God, you know, the thing is I'm a shy person. You made me shy. <laughs> if you did not make me shy, you know what? You know me now. I for scatter everywhere. But I'm shy. Is that what you're going to say to God? It won't matter. The excuses we give will not matter in eternity. I hope you know. They won't matter in eternity. I had a bad week will not matter. It won't matter. Do you get what I'm saying? It won't matter. So you have work. (laughs) Say I have work. Say I have work. Good. What's your faith story going to look like? Can we say that by faith, Darius turned the nation upside down for Christ? Can we say that by faith, Mawa took the city for Jesus? Listen, you have a global mandate. Jesus said, go into all the world. And he was talking to all of us individually and as a church. So individually, we are to go into all the world. As a church, we are to go into all the world. What will be said about you? What would they say that by faith, Henry did this for the gospel? Or will it be that by faith, he got a very lovely car? We don't see how futile many of the prayers we pray. We don't. Listen, it's important to pray for a car or a house or whatever you need at the moment. But you see those prayers, they shouldn't be the only prayers you pray. In fact, they shouldn't be the first prayers you pray. They shouldn't be the most important prayers you pray. You you know, many of us need to sit back and read about the Christian history. Read about men. Uh, Read about Evan Roberts and the Welsh Revival in 1904. Read about Charles, um, no, no, not Charles, this black guy. Azusa Street Revival. Um, Seymour, William J. Seymour, and the Azusa Street Revival. Read about these men, then ask yourself, what am I doing with my life? Let me tell you something. We might correct the doctrine of the fathers of the faith now and say some of the things they teach us are not actually accurate in the Bible. But do you know, and I'm saying this with all sense of humility, that without those men, in this country, things would have been different. I hope you know. 
different. Things would have been very different. You know, you hear, you see Living Faith, for example, just dedicated 106,000. They just did groundbreaking ceremony for a 106,000-seater facility that they want to build. How many of you saw that? And you hear stories like that, and some of us get, immediately we get agitated. What did they use all this money to do? Is the money more important than the souls? Think about it. Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gained the whole world? And he lost his soul. So Jesus was telling you that when you put the whole world on one side of a scale, and you put a man, one man's soul on the other side of the scale, that man's soul will always tip the scale. It will always weigh more than the riches of Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, all the rich people you know put together. He says, they will always tip the scale. Some of these men are so rich that they can give everybody in the world a dollar each. Do you, know you know that's a big deal? How much is one dollar now? About 500 naira. They can give everybody in the world 500 naira. Jesus said, if you put all their riches together, all the untapped gold, all the untapped oil together, it's not worth one man's soul. Yet, you see a church that is reaching out to 106,000 people at a time. And your first question is, why are they spending so much money? There's no difference between you and Judas. Because a woman came to wash Jesus' feet with oil, expensive oil. And what Judas said was, she should have sold it and given to the poor. That's how a lot of people think. The money is more important to them than the souls of people. Currently, for instance, I'm using Living Faith because I know Living Faith well. And there are many churches that are doing this. Living Faith holds four or five services every Sunday morning. And 400,000 people, I'm not joking, 400,000 people attend church in that place every Sunday morning. That's a win for the gospel. I hope you know. It's a win for the gospel. They might not be taught the right things, but they all believe that Jesus died for them. That's, that's a win for the gospel. So the next time you want to open your mouth and say, why are they spending so much money? Come down and think. What does this, does this count for eternity? It does. It does. When we get up and we say, oh, we're trying to hit 300 regular attendance in church. Some people will say, ah, they're just trying to grow their church numbers. Yes, it counts for eternity. 300 regular attendance means 300 people that the devil has no hand in their lives. Do you understand that? So when we get to 300, we'll move it to 1,000, 3,000, 10,000, 1 million. We'll keep going. When I die, the next person will continue. And you are a part of it. You better write your faith story. Start now. Start today. Think, what ways can I impact the gospel? How can I be a part of the spread of the gospel? How can I be a, a part of the forceful advancement of God's kingdom? Because guess what? There are people that are forcefully fighting against that advancement. The devil will fight. The devil will fight. The devil will fight. And some of you don't know it. But without knowing, you are a part of his own army. You are a Christian, you love the Lord, but you contribute sometimes to the devil's fight. I remember a couple of months ago, a pastor said, that why, why is it that Netflix, for instance, as a company, 
Notice how whenever they want to release release religious satire, that's comedy that mocks religion, it's always Christianity. You will never go to Netflix and find an Islam satire that they were mocking Islam. They would burn their office that day. <laughs> Is it true? And guess what? People, so, so, so this man said, maybe we'll just boycott Netflix. And many Christians say, ah, why should we, but we have freedom of, we have freedom of to watch what we want to watch. You are a Christian. You don't understand what you are saying. Somebody died for you and somebody's making a mockery of it and you think it's okay to watch it. One of them portrayed Jesus as a drunkard and you, people watch it and laugh. It's just comedy now. Nothing day there now. Then tomorrow you wonder why you have questions repeatedly. Questions that you have answers to but you refuse to believe the answer. You have questions repeatedly about your faith. The devil is winning the fight in your, in your heart. He's winning it. And you don't know. When we say, watch the kind of songs you listen to, you're going to be like, ah, but Christians are not doing songs that have good beats. That's not what we're talking about. You know the way people talk as if, ah, if I don't listen to this song, there's something that we do to my blood. I will have low blood pressure. I have to be listening to this kind of songs. You know the way people talk. We say, don't listen to this guy. He sings, I remember a couple of months ago, and I'm sorry, I'm your pastor, I will speak the truth. I, was, I, I saw a Christian, and he was talking about how he loves fella. I said, see, I'm a music lover. Any of you that knows me knows. I love, my, my taste for music is very wide. I listen to soundtracks from movies, just beats, just soundtrack. That's how much I love. And fella is an amazing artist. But you see the fact that he openly curses against the Christian faith. I can't stand it. So I said, how can you be listening to fella? Somebody that is against everything you claim to stand for. He said, ah, that he's speaking the truth. What truth? What truth? What truth? Be careful. The devil's strategy has always been, you know, many of us think that when the, devil, when the Bible calls the devil the father of lies, that what the Bible means is that everything the devil says is a lie. It's not true. <laughs> the devil says truth. Sometimes they are half truths. You know what a half truth is? A truth that is tainted with a hint of a lie. Just one small lie. So I might say ten things and say one that is not true out of those ten. Nine are true. One is not true. I've told you. I've done what the devil does. And that's how he infiltrates your home. That's how he infiltrates people's lives. So somebody will think about politicians. They're not doing well. You think about this one. They're not doing well. You talk about how the economy is not good. And guess what? He will now chip in. And pastors too. And you too, you now be like, yes, tell them. Let me tell you something. You know, somebody was telling me, somebody asked me a question. Now, what is the one thing that if the church administrator does, you will fire the person? I said, I don't yet know. He said, is he stealing money? I said, people will always steal money. It's the way life is. I'm not, I'm not encouraging it. The person is in service. I'm not encouraging it to steal money. <laughs> but Jesus knew that Judas was dipping into the church pocket. <laughs> is that true? And Jesus still sent Judas out with the disciples when it was time. Because let me tell you. You see, this church is not about money. <laughs> we will use money. Money will not dictate how the church is run. Do you understand what I'm saying? God's plan for Nigeria is not a better economy. 
Let me tell you now. His plan for Nigeria is that every Nigerian is saved. That's, what he, that's the only thing he cares about. That's all he cares about. So pray from now till tomorrow for a better economy. If you don't get up and walk, the economy will not change. If we don't have good leaders, the economy will not change. If we don't have good governance, the economy will not change. The part that God wants you to really play a part in is saving Nigerians. Because when the Nigerian finally dies, it won't matter that he was from Nigeria or Cote d'Ivoire. Only two things. Was he alive in Christ or dead in sin? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So learn to see that the resources that God puts in your hands, he put there for a reason. Ah, Second Samuel chapter 7, God was talking to David. And he talked to David and he told David how, I will make your name great. This was after David uh, made one sacrifice to the Lord. And then God said to David, I will make your name great. I will make you big. Then he said, and I will establish my people of Israel. I will establish them. So he was telling David that the reason I will make your name great and I will make you big is for my people. God does not prosper you because he's interested in a Christian becoming the first billionaire in the world. I hope you know. It doesn't really matter to him. He's not impressed by your billions. How do you want to brag to the person who created the world? That I'm the richest man on earth. He said, I created the earth that you are the richest man and I created you too. What's your brag? What's your boast? It doesn't really matter to him. Money is a man-made construct. God did not invent money. Man, sure you know. Yeah, God did not invent money, man did. So God wants you to be prosperous. God wants you to live a good life, but not at the expense of salvation. So when God gives you money, he didn't just give you to flex. Yes, there's the part of you living comfortably. He provides. But when he gives you money, he gives you for the kingdom. Are you getting what I'm saying? So when you don't learn... That that money is for the kingdom. Like that rich fool, it will be taken away from you. Many people don't understand this. A lot of people pray for favor. Favor. God, favor me, favor me, favor me, favor me. The easiest way to find favor is to align with what God is doing. See, you can never get God to be committed to what you are doing. You can't. He has a plan. Somebody said, and rightly so, that God is the only one who is self-centered and he's the only one who is allowed to be. Said God is self-centered and he's the only one who is permitted to be. I mean, if he's not self-centered, who else should his own life revolve around? He's God. He has a plan. And if you don't like it, sorry, but fall in line. What do you want to do? Say, I'll sue you. I don't like your plan. Sue him to who? He's the judge of all the earth. He judges the living and the dead. The judges, you know, cannot judge the dead. So stop trying to get God to be committed to what you are doing. Many of us keep doing that. God bless this business. God bless this thing I'm doing. Oluwa, bless it, bless it, bless it. But God is telling you, I don't want you there. This is where I want you. Go there. I say, no, God, come here. Come, come with me now. <laughs> and I'll be like, then, Pastor, I don't know why this business is not working. It's not working because God is not there. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's not involved. He's not involved. So stop trying to get God to be committed to what you are doing. Be committed to what he is doing. 
And his work is very simple. He wishes that all men be saved. Do you understand this? This is why Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, was teaching. And he says, look, your heavenly father knows that you have needs of all these things. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he says, all these things that men look for, they will be added unto you. Listen, there's a fundamental principle here, and there's a fundamental abuse. Some people will not say, this is the secret to kingdom prosperity. If you seek God first, he will add other things to you. Don't you get it? If you are seeking God because you want other things to be added, you are not seeking God, you are seeking other things. God is a means to the end. So truly look for God for God. Be a part of God's plan for God's plan. Praise the Lord. This is not the kind of church where we will tell you, let's go out and win souls. If you win souls, God will perfect the one that is. No! Win souls because souls need to be won. Are you getting this? Praise the Lord. Say, God will make a name for himself. In my life. One more time. God will make a name for himself in my life. I want you to turn that to a prayer point right now. Just bow your heads and say, Lord, I submit myself to you to be used by you. Make a name for yourself in my life. Through my life. Reach out to the world through me. Make a name for yourself through my life. Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.